You're listening to Rock of Ages, where I introduce my friends who are much into music theater to different types of pop and rock music. And sometimes they'll introduce me to some theater music. special guest of this podcast, Mr. Dr. Chris of Schaeferless Productions. How's it going, everybody? Born to Run is the third studio album by American singer-songwriter Bruce Springsteen, released on August 25th, 1975, <clears throat> under Columbia Records. It was produced by Bruce Springsteen, Mike Appel, and John Landau, and the genres are rock and roll, pop rock, power pop, and heartland rock. Now I'm going to read the all-music review from William Ruhlman. Bruce Springsteen's make-or-break third album represented a sonic leap from his first two, which had been made for modest sums at a suburban studio. Born to Run was cut on a superstar budget, mostly at the record plant in New York. Springsteen's backup band had changed, with his two virtuoso players, keyboardist David Sanchez and drummer Vinny Lopez, replaced by the professional but less flashy Roy Batan and Max Weinberg. The result was a full, highly produced sound that contained elements of Phil Spector's melodramatic work of the 1960s. Layers of guitar, layers of echo on the vocals, lots of keyboards, thunderous drums, Born to Run had a big sound, and Springsteen wrote big songs to match it. The overall theme of the album was similar to that of The Wild, The Innocent, and The East Street Shuffle. Springsteen was describing and saying farewell to a romanticized teenage street life, but where he had been affectionate, even humorous before, he was becoming increasingly bitter. If Springsteen had celebrated his dead-end kids on his first album and viewed them nostalgically on his second, on his third he seemed to despise their failure, perhaps because he was beginning to fear he was trapped himself. Nevertheless, he now felt removed composing an updated West Side Story with spectacular music that owed more to Bernstein than to Barry. To call Born to Run overblown is to miss the point. Springsteen's precise intention is to blow things up, both in the sense of expanding them to gargantuan size and of exploding them. If the E Street Shuffle was an accidental miracle, Born to Run was an intentional masterpiece. It declared its own greatness with songs and a sound that lived up to Springsteen's promise, and though some thought it took itself too seriously, many found that exulting. Alright, what do we think of Born to Run by Bruce 
gosh darn Springsteen. It's really good. I love it. It's so fantastic. It's great. It's It's a masterpiece. It's it's a masterpiece. Yeah, I don't have a lot of Bruce Springsteen, but I must say it's really good. Same here. I enjoyed this. Uh, I mean, it it depends because for me, I've listened to a lot of Springsteen. I'd rate this as to me for me, this is his second best album that Mm. I've listened to. Uh, the first What's one is obviously, uh, to me, the best that he's ever done is is uh, Born in the oh. USA, um, by far. Yep. Um, yep. His, uh, yeah, I've heard so many things about that album. Yeah, I, Born in the USA is the first Springsteen album I got, and it's one I hold a, hold close to my heart. But yeah, this album is yeah, but, um, this album is the second Springsteen album I got, and it is marvelous. Never get tired of it. Well, a couple songs maybe, but never get tired of it as a whole. I think the only song that really sounds out of place is Backstreets with mm. everything else that's going on in the album. Hmm. But yeah, the, the album yeah. as a whole is still really, really good. Yeah, Backstreets yeah. does have a bit of a... It does sound out of place, kind of. But I think <clears throat> I think it's good. I, I, li- I like that one. And uh, it's probably one of the saddest songs on the album. But it is a pretty sad album. But that said, it's also a very exhilarating album. Like... The, the moment I hear Thunder Road, I am just ride or die. This is just when those harmonies kick in. I, I think it's one of one of my top 10 best openers to any album. I think, yeah, Thunder Road was definitely my favorite song on the album. Yeah, it's... Um, uh, Thunder Road, coincidentally, gets a lot of playtime uh, on the radio at my work mm. compared to any other Springsteen song, which is mm-hmm. weird considering that you have his more... I'm not, I'm not gonna say better hits. You have his more powerful hits later on in his career, which get almost all the playtime on the radio so whenever like, they play Springsteen. Yeah, the title track, "Hungry Heart," "Dancing in the Dark," stuff like that. Um, especially uh, uh, "Born to Run," which is on the second side. Funnily enough, yeah, uh, Springsteen had uh, four powerful <clears throat> songs on this album, which he liked to call the four corners. Like the the odd corners are the. Uh, hopeful like youthful optimism songs thunder road and born to run and the other corners like the the songs that ended each side are like really depressing and those are backstreets and jungle land which uh, the latter i think is the closest springsteen ever got to like Prague. uh it's worth noting that uh born to run came at the crossroads of bruce springsteen's career his first two albums they sold poorly and columbia might have dropped him if he didn't produce a hit Yes, and Bruce was uh, determined to like uh, create the absolute perfect album that'll keep him in his Columbia contract because he knew that if Columbia dropped him that he would, wouldn't be picked up by anyone else of stature. So he had to make Born to Run a powerful <clears throat> hit. And it took six months to record the title track and it was worth it. Imagine if he didn't make it, then we wouldn't have, like, Bruce Springsteen. We wouldn't even have, like, the Sesame Street parody, Born to Add. Yeah. What? Yeah, I have the Born to Add album on CD, and it's, uh... That's awesome. It's not a whole parody of Born to Run. It's just a collection of song parodies that Sesame Street did over the years. Yeah, I would say that... Born to Add is a more famous album cover than Born to Run. And they're the same <laughs> album cover. <laughs> I love how it's underlined, great rock and roll. Like, we, you're telling us what we already know. <laughs> Born to Add, I, My one critique with the uh, Sesame Street thing, though, is uh, 
Cookie Monster is completely in view, but re- really, it should just be his shoulder who's in view as it mm. is on the original album. <laughs> Sacrilege. Sacrilege. Who is on the original album? So, yeah, on the album cover, we got, got Bruce leaning on his uh, saxophonist, uh, Clarence Clements. Who, oh. He is the big man referred to in the <clears throat> 10th Avenue Freeze Out. I mean, you know, when the, the big man joined the band. That, that was uh, Clarence joining the E Street Band. And uh, in that song, 10th Avenue Freeze Out, uh, Bruce Springsteen is trying to find a good nickname for himself so that people don't know that it's him that he's talking about. And so he decides to go with Bad Scooter. Bad Scooter? (laughs) You know it's Bruce Springsteen because the initials are the same. Oh, I kind of thought that didn't click easily for a second. <laughs> the the banana sketch. When you hear the when you hear the name Tenth Avenue Freeze Out, you think of like a heist scene, but no one knows what it means. Not even Springsteen knew what it meant when he wrote down the words Tenth Avenue Freeze Out. <laughs> he just came up wow. with it, and it said that sounds cool. Yeah. yeah, and that and I mean you couldn't just call it the creation of the E Street Band. That would that would give it away too much. And honestly, 10th Avenue Freeze Out is my second least favorite track on this album, mainly because I'm... Really? I can't really get into oh like Bruce's uh, yells. I mean, he, his voice cracks too much for me. That was... This is my top of the album. I loved 10th Avenue yeah. Freeze I mean, the issue... I mean, that was such a smooth, smooth backing track, but... I couldn't take all the yelling. <laughs> <laughs> this one of the songs he sang at his at the Super Bowl halftime in 2009, <laughs> after imploring the audience to put down the guacamole dip and chicken fingers. <laughs> they were actually eating chicken wings, but anyway. Yeah. <laughs> chicken and macaroni. And didn't Springsteen do like a crotch slide at the Super Bowl? Did he? What? <laughs> what? What the what? hell? That was like what? He would do. That's the most American thing I've heard of. <laughs> At least it's not the Janet Jackson and Justin Timberlake. No, no, no. Oh. <laughs> I'm thankful I was too young to remember that. Mm-hmm. I don't even At least it, when it happened. Uh, At least it wasn't like that other Super Bowl halftime show with Maroon 5. Oh, yeah. God, no! <laughs> <Don't remind me. laughs> I will never let that go. My problem with that <laughs> halftime show wasn't Maroon 5, more with just snubbing the uh, Sweet Victory. Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, that's right. They, they saw the petition to have Sweet Victory played at the Super Bowl, and they just made and switched us with sicko mode <laughs> travis scott's autotune wasn't even working at that time he just started <laughs> uh, it could have been worse he could have been singing 10th avenue freeze out <laughs> imagine travis scott doing all those yells without the autotune uh, don't, don't, don't throw too much shade at me i still do like 10th avenue freeze out it's just the the yells not my like it to get slightly back on topic, how cool of a name is the E Street Band for like a backing band, you know? Yeah, like, it um, really is. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's like Silver Bullet Band for Bob Seger. It, it says exactly what it is on the tin. They're a band and they come from E Street. It's, it's magic. Oh wait, no, that's that's a 2007 Springsteen album. It's magic is a song by the Pilot. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, one person. Gets- yeah. It's the E. So. <laughs> It's like the picture of Farquaad where he looks like Markiplier. (laughs) (laughs) 
Avenue Freeze Out, like I said, not my least favorite track on the album. Like, I don't hate any of the songs on this album at all, but uh, the one that I forget about the most is Night. Like, uh, it's it's basically Thunder Road, except sh- shorter and blah. Like, it's, it's three minutes long, but I, I can't really remember it that well. It, it includes a Doors reference, but that's all I can muster from it. Huh. And like I said, not a bad song on this album. Maybe a few forgetful ones, though, and that is one of them. But Backstreet's, on the other hand, that is uh, not a forgettable song. It contrasts to most of the songs on this album, musically at least, but I I still think it's great. It's a story of uh, Bruce and his uh, friend Terry as they uh, form a relationship in the backstreets of uh, New Jersey, and ultimately their friendship crumbles due to none of their mistakes, but just by time. And it's a really moving song. Yeah. That was not their mistake. <laughs> the friendship fell apart <laughs> because of New Jersey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everything falls apart in New Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> Bad New Jersey. Bad <laughs> I wrote for Backstreets the most tragic gay love story since Bear. <laughs> Yeah, or this I don't know how to take nobody, that. Or this obscure play nobody talks about, like that's called Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> the most tragic uh, death since you're in town. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, Mr. Cladwell's death in you're in town was also pretty tragic. I remember the, yes. uh, he was being taken up by the protesters, and then they led the actor down to the back room, and then they threw a dummy off the stage. That was tragic. <laughs> We threw him, like, we took the guy that played Mr. Cladwell. Why it was actually one of the guys that took um, Cladwell off the stage. It was. Yeah, we basically, like, took him, like, off the stage, because, like, it was, like, backstage. And, like, down the house, and, like, there was, like, a door, where you, and there was, like, stairs. And then, so we went, so they went in there, and then to make that thud, they all jumped at the same time. That was how they did the thud. I mean, it's, uh, yeah, that sounds like something my high school I'm, theater would do. I mean, it it costs less than buying a dummy. <laughs> True. <laughs> so, uh, oh Chris, you're in town as a musical. That's all you need to know about it. Let's get back on topic and talk about the title track because that's a good title track. <laughs> Hands down, one of Springsteen's best songs that he ever made. Mm-hmm. I was looking on RateYourMusic.com, and uh, one of the subgenres for the uh, the song, just the song "Born to Run," was uh, the Brill Building, and uh, I had to look up what that was. But apparently, it's ba- it's basically like, like a building full of songwriters that are just writing songs for like New York City girl groups, like uh, the Crystals, the Ronettes, and the whatnot. Uh, Phil Spector was one of the most uh, famous bro building writers and one of the worst. 
as a human. Yeah. But that's, that's, that's neat to know about a new subgenre that I didn't know existed. Yeah. They uh, literally named a genre after a building. <laughs> that's yeah. absolute Chad material. That's, <laughs> that's egotistical. Whoever named it is absolute Chad. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. Born uh, to Run. I love how Born to Run is the uh, first track on side two. The next song is She's the One. So it's kind of like rhymes. Born to Run. She's the One. Uh, I never noticed that. Oh. No, neither did I. Yeah. Did we all not it, notice that? It's, it's quite witty, and I know how much you theater kids like wittiness. <laughs> yeah, it, it, she's the one is the B-side of 10th Avenue Freeze Out. Hmm. I thought She's the One was a really cool song with, with its, like, Bo Diddley beat. Bo Diddley was a famous guitarist who developed, like, a, a stuttering beat that, that uh, really changed a lot of things in rockabilly. And then I also like the lyrics to She's the One, but after close examination, I, I found out she's not the one. <laughs> Yeah, she don't know diddly. That <laughs> yeah. was a reference to, like, I'm probably the only person here that's heard of those old bow nose commercials for Nike or something. Oh, yeah, yeah. Before, before we move on, uh, we can't talk about a good album without talking about Robert Criscow's review. I knew you were going to say seen that. I seen that. that. Don't worry. Oh, and, and don't worry. He gave it an A. Like, oh, good for him. Yay. But Yay, he, a- he said it succeeded in spite of its operatic pomposity and, here's my favorite, pseudo-tragic beautiful loser fatalism. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Look at you, Bobby, using all these big words on us. You're, you're so not pompous at all. <laughs> He's like the Roger Ebert of uh, music criticism. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, but in terms of like the language and stuff, it reminds me more of Pauline Kale. Look her up. Hmm. Uh, A podcast I watched uh, said that uh, Chris Kale also was like Jay Sherman of the critic. <laughs> glad we talk, Glad to see we have a critic fan in the house. I haven't watched it, but I've existed on the yeah. edge of it. Yeah, same here. I've been wanting to watch it. Yeah. Is it that one animated show on Fox? Oh yeah, yeah. He appeared on that's the Simpsons. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, that's right. Uh, what it's is that episode just called the Critic? It, oh, I can't. Yeah. Remember. Oh yeah, the Critic gets that one show with like the cou- that one couch gag where he gets a funny, different, funny message every time. Uh huh. Wait, is that the show with the guy who wa- watches like a movie or something? That's the, that's the same show. Yeah. In a couple it's, moments it's like, of the it's kind of like from it's like Mystery Science Theater three thousand. Yeah, 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 like, yeah. Oh yeah. Except for like yeah, the animated. I've seen that guy. I've seen like a couple moments of it from this video called Fox Shows Making Fun of Fox. Oh yeah. <laughs> Where the heckity heck <clears throat> is the fox on Fox? The You're fucking Fox. We're coming in third is a triumph. <laughs> When I first uh, got Born to Run last year, I listened to Meeting Across the River. I thought it was a pretty cool, nice little character sketchy track, but uh, the more that I've settled with it, especially this past week, listening to it for the album, and I've just grown to love Meeting Across the River more and more. It's just, I think the, the lyrics on it are some of Bruce's best, and the instrumentation is something out of Hadestown. Like, it's just really... Uh, interesting story about this guy who's uh asking his friend to take him from the uh, new jersey border to new york city so he can uh, get a few thousand bucks so he can uh finally do something with his life and it's quite a sad song oh, too 
Yeah, there's a whole book inspired by that song called Meeting Across the River, stories inspired by the haunting Bruce Springsteen song. There's like 21 Haunting? <laughs> it is a haunting song. Yeah, it's got a flugelhorn. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> That was perfect. One thing I noticed immediately across the river was that the main character's girlfriend, Cherry, broke up with him because he stole her radio and pawned it, and that's why she won't join him on a $1,000 heist, because he gave a radio to someone else. And it's kind of petty, but we have to have some sort of conflict in the song. And and I don't think the, uh, the meeting is going to go well, because for one thing, our main character can't even afford a bus fare from New Jersey to New York. And so he has to resort to his friend, who the lyrics describe him as very incompetent. And so it's just, God, I love this song. It's very good. And I, I've, I've heard somewhere that the uh, meeting across the river is like, it's like a transition song from New Jersey to New York, because Jungle Land, that's the one song in the album that uh, takes place in, not in New Jersey, but New York City, in Harlem specifically. Okay. And the main characters of that uh, song probably aren't Bruce's best uh, character names, but they, at least their names, our protagonists are the Magic Rat and barefoot girl. That's beautiful. <laughs> they, they Magic like rat and barefoot girl. If Bruce Springsteen ever wrote a book, I would definitely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, ma- Magic Rat and Barefoot Girl sound like they could be both in a Don Bluth film and a Tarantino film at the same time. Yeah. Magic Rat is Ratatouille. Oh my god. Or Ratatouille. <laughs> oh no! No! Chris actually uh, reviewed Ratatouille with James, right? Uh, that was... Oh, I, it is one of the worst movies I ever watched in my life, but it holds a near and dear place in my heart. <laughs> yes. It's so bad, it's good. Didn't, didn't the same studio make like a bunch of other rip-off films of other... Of other... They have a franchise that has been going on since they first ripped off the Cars back in like 2006. I which think is I, called Cars Life. The Little Cars. I think I, I thought it was called a Cars Life one, or something. I think I remember watching The Little Cars when I was like seven on Netflix. I've been meaning to ask you, Chris, what was it like collecting a bunch of magical kidney stones with the help of Markiplier, Jacksepticeye, and Chaplinsky Games and beating <laughs> Barry B. Benson with the help of Keith the Flying Spaghetti Monster? Uh, let me tell you, I'm not allowed to go into it because it's a covert operation. <laughs> but uh, none of us could shut up when we were supposed to be doing stealth missions. And it doesn't help when you have three people screaming their heads off. <laughs> but at least Keith was there and his noodly appendages. <laughs> to get back on the track to Springsteen, here's a fun fact for you that I just found out. Uh, She's the One has been played... As of 2008, a grand total of 468 times live. Wow. Dang. Wow. Compared to his other songs? Uh, I, don't, I don't know. That's that's the only fun fact I have. I mean, that's a good song. Like I would imagine the song like... Uh, I, it looks like a fun song to play. Uh, during the Born to like Run a... tour, it was performed 130 times. It was performed oh, 96 wow. times during the Darkness tour. Uh, it was only used once during the River tour. It was played each night of the Tunnel of Love tour. Performed once during the Amnesty International tour. His, the reunion tour had 17 versions of the song. It was played 50 times during the Rising tour. Oh my! 
god. Uh, it was played oh during god. the rehearsals for the Magic Tour. And it was played 91 times during the Magic Tour. Uh, 34 times during working on the Dream Tour. Uh, it appeared 51 times during the Wrecking Ball Tour. It had less than a dozen inclusions during the High Hopes Tour. And was performed five times at his most recent tour in 2017. Oh my god. Wow. Wow. I didn't expect it to stick around. She's the one. It's the one. <laughs> so, uh, Jungle Land, uh, I get chills every time I hear the last, like, part of Jungle Land. Like, when he's just moan wailing, his heart moan out. Moan in Springsteen. Yeah. yeah, that's that's my status. Moan wailing in Springsteen. I'm just gonna say whale moaning in Springsteen, but whale moans sound like something a whale would make. And, uh, whales are not Jersey. Whales are not Jersey. Um, Clarence Clemens. He got he had all these kick-ass sax solos on the album. Oh yeah, he's the the unsung hero of this uh, album. And uh, Bruce Springsteen didn't play Jungle Land for over a year after Clarence Clemens died. When he did put it in rotation, it was in Gothenburg, and with his uh, son, right? Nephew Jake. No, no, it was was his nephew. According to song facts. Yeah, but it's a. It's a very powerful sax solo. As a sax player himself, I, I really love it. Also, uh, Suki Lahav is uh, playing the 23-note violin intro at the beginning of Jungle Land. Huh. And of course, Springsteen uh, plays the, the moan wailing at the last minute. And yeah, pretty much all over this entire album. The Stand, where a group of survivors prepare to confront an evil tyrant after a plague eradicates most of the U.S. population. Oh, I haven't read that one yet. Oh my god. (laughs) Wow. I read the story that was based on, but I haven't read The Stand yet. That sounds like typical King. Bob Springsteen hates Kubrick. And Springsteen said that he wanted the album to sound like uh, Roy Orbison singing Bob Dylan as produced by Phil Spector. Huh. Nailed it. Nailed it. And <laughs> as a Bob Dylan hater, I think Jackson would agree. Well, this is better than Bob Dylan. Well, this is better than anything he's ever done. Yeah, obviously. Jungle Land, yeah, Jungle Land is L.A. Blues done right. <laughs> really? <laughs> How? Because <laughs> in Andrew's notes, he said the last song of an album is usually the band or artist statement piece oh, for the yeah. album. <laughs> yeah. L.A. Blues is just three minutes of increase. Five rambling. minutes, mind you. so much five minutes doesn't really help with their case but i it's definitely a better statement piece than last resort off of hotel california yeah yeah i think most things are better than the last resort off of hotel california 
Most things yeah. are better than the Eagles. Uh, uh, it's just Eagles, sir. They're not pretentious like those other bands. <laughs> how did one album slowly get worse? Like, it started off pretty strong, and then just slowly rolled off a cliff. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's, a, that's a tangent. I'm sorry. I mean, we're a tangent podcast. It's, it's in our blood. Mm. That's true. But yeah, this album, amazing. Truly, it is amazing. And after uh, when when we brought up Sesame Street Born to Add uh, cover, I immediately thought of this uh, fan art I saw of Amphibia on uh, Twitter. And instead of uh, Springsteen, it was uh, Sasha, one of the girls from Amphibia, who was leaning on Frobo's shoulder. And for those who don't know who Frobo is, it's the frog robot. I think it's really nice fan art, and I think that Sasha should be on the uh, on the thumbnail. It should be so, Sasha leaning on Cookie Monster. <laughs> just, yeah. just to bring it all together. It comes full circles. <laughs> and, uh, one more thing I feel like noting. Uh, last episode we mentioned uh, Phil Collins put a little tribute to Don Lennon in Face Value. On Song Facts it says that uh, Bruce Springsteen was at the Spectrum in Philadelphia the night after John Lennon's death. And he said, if it wasn't for John Lennon, a lot of us would be in some place much different tonight. It's a hard world that asks you to live with a lot of things that are unlivable. And it's hard to come out here and play tonight, but there's nothing else to do. And uh, and they did Born to Run, and Steve mm-hmm. Van Sant had tears in his eyes. Danny Federici had hit his keyboard so hard he broke a key. And then they closed the concert with Twist and Shout. Which <laughs> kind of winds back to the very first episode it of all comes back. the podcast. And oh, yeah. 30th, and this is our 30th episode. It's not our last oh, yeah. episode, but... It's all coming together. <laughs> it's not our... Yeah. Don't worry, it's not our last episode, but... John Lennon is controlling um, Andrew to do this podcast. All right, let's uh, go around the room. Let's start with Jackson. I bet you're going to give this, like, a solid zero. <laughs> no, it's a nine. It's just... It kind of it kind of dipped a bit in the middle, but I feel like Jungle Land... This is like the perfect ending for this whole album. Yeah, I would. It just say, wrapped it up beautifully. Yeah, I wouldn't say it's the best album ending ever, but if you're gonna end an album that is born to run, then you better end it with Jungle Land. Yeah, better Jungle Land than an LA Blues, am I right? Yeah. Jungle Land would Jungle Land would have saved the season finale of Game of Thrones. <laughs> God. All right, Nick, what would you give that? Oh, uh, probably an eight. This is. I haven't listened to a lot of Springsteen, but um, it's definitely really good. Um, my favorites were definitely Thunder Road and uh, Jungle Land. Um, I'd give this like an like an eight. I I really liked it. Uh, I give it a nine point five. Uh, it's just really just a fantastic album. And, and can we? Chris, can we wrap this up a little quicker? Uh, I, yeah, I hear I thunder outside. All right, don't worry. I'm, I'm going to wrap this up quick. Why? Uh, what would you think? Uh, solid 8.75. It was a good introduction to Springsteen for me, and I love the flow of the album. Every song fit in perfectly after the other. And now for our special guest, Chris. Uh, I give it five blenders out of five. <laughs> it's a very good album. <laughs> If you're getting into Springsteen for the first time, I'd rather recommend this album or Born in the USA as a starter. Um, but this is one of his most solid albums that he ever put together. And listening to it for the the whole album for the first time really piqued my interest in more Springsteen. And then I got into Nebraska after this. So, You know, in 1975, Bruce Springsteen said we were born to run. 
But in 1984, he said we were born in the USA. Well, Bruce, which one is it? Oh, and one last thing. Uh, This is number 16 on acclaimed music as of now. Hey, as long as it's over Funhouse. There uh, there are 15 albums better than Born to Run. Well, how about I give you all a fun fact that I actually do know off the top of my head, not related to music. The Mm. cuttlefish is colorblind. That's ironic. Interesting, because the cuttlefish can camouflage itself perfectly into its surroundings in the deep depths of the oceans. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, on that note, I would give this an 8.85 out of 10. Like, a few things I'm not too completely sold on, like uh, 10th Avenue Freeze Out's Yells and uh, Night, but it's just really solid. Like, this was his make or break album. Like, uh, and what a great album it was. Like, not to deny the, the brilliance of The Wild, The Innocent, and The E Street Shuffle, but he knew that he was in deep trouble and he really had to create something wonderful to uh, to really make a stand on his uh, footprint in rock and roll. And he brought us a really great album. I've, I loved it ever since I heard it on my record player. That's right. I'm going to continue flexing that I have a record player. And I really think you should <laughs> check this out or, or Born in the USA, either one. And since uh, there's Thunder at Roma's area, I'm going to spin the wheel now. Spin the wheel. Spin the wheel. Spin the wheel. And remember, if we land on a concept album or a rock opera, we have to look at a theater album for episode 32. Woo! Spin Mm. the wheel. Spin the wheel. The wheel's already spun. Come on, guys. Join it on the chant. The the wheel already spun, guys. (laughs) (laughs) The wheel was spun. The wheel wheel was spun. spun. The wheel was spun. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, what can we, uh, and the next album we'll be looking at is ZZ Top, Tres Hombres. Ooh. Ooh, cool. Oh, man. All right. Thank you. From the churches to the jail.